Hello everybody and welcome to What Would The Smart Party Do? We're back again for part two of our Savage World special. It's not just me. Hello Baz, how are you doing? I'm alright guys. I'm really good actually, a bit hot. <laughs> yeah, the weather, <laughs> the weather's unreasonably hot for the UK. I'm not complaining, I'm just moaning a bit. The weather's unreasonably <laughs> hot for Uzbekistan or other places that are hot. I'm not sure or, if that's Or hot. Venus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is quite hot for like a white dwarf sun. Oh, <laughs> but we mustn't grumble. No. So, let us get back then to Savage Worlds. Avid listeners will have heard last week I went through the first roughly half of the new Suede Savage Worlds Adventure Edition book. Uh, and this time, we're starting off at the Adventure Toolkit, Chapter 4, if you're listening at home. If you haven't listened to that episode, then I suggest you nip back and do that first. Otherwise, you'll be starting halfway through the book listening to this one, and that'll be a bit daft. <laughs> that would be madness, but that's the way I read role-playing books sometimes. <laughs> you do read them backwards. So. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, or I sort of start at a chapter that's kind of caught my eye. It's not always from page yes. one, strangely, but yeah. Uh, but you know, it would be bizarre. Yeah, go back and listen to the last episode. We've got loads of nice feedback on that. So thank you very much to those people who dropped us a line uh, or a message via social media or whatever. Um, it turns out there's a, a lot of people who are interested in finding out what makes Savage Worlds tick. So we did a, it was a big old run through, wasn't it? Chapter by chapter last time. I suspect we'll get a bit more loosey goosey with opinions and stuff this time round. Yeah, maybe. Let's see. So we're starting off this time, as I've mentioned, with the Adventure Toolkit. And as I've mentioned previous episode, the bells and whistles are what excites me about Savage Worlds. Mm-hmm. And this is more of that kind of stuff. So there's about 10 or a dozen sort of subsystems to go along with the rest of the book. Yep, and they all add little bits. Uh, for the most part, they're actually quite simple, but it's just like a slightly different way of doing something, which makes it a little bit interesting. I don't know about you, Baz, but I get quite excited by that. Like burning wheels, quite an involved system, and uh-huh. burning empires and stuff like that. But I did like the fact it had separate subsystems for firefights, for example, or things like that. That that sort of thing pushes my buttons. Yeah, it does me too. I like that. I like a, a solid core, and then you can just layer on the bits that you want. I mean, I do tend to layer on all of them, <laughs> and that might just be a thing. But it's like, a, I, oh, I can't. I've got that fear of missing out. So if yeah. there's like twelve subsystems, I kind of want to play all of them because I don't want to be. I don't want people thinking, oh, he he doesn't know how how this bit of the game works. So I tend to stick yeah. them all in there, really, um, which isn't hard to do with Savage. In fairness, uh, it's not hard to do at all. Um, but yeah, I do. I do like these little extra bits, and and some of them as well. I think are kind of unique selling points for Savage Worlds. Some of them mm. are fairly generic. You know, uh, you'd expect to see that sort of thing in a host of other fantasy role playing games. Uh, but there's some bits like you know the first one being allies, for example. I think that's um, that's really noteworthy. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I like the fact that these are all bolt-on as well, and not so you don't have to learn them as part of the core rules, but they're dead easy to include. So we mentioned last time that the characters are all wild cards, so you get to roll your extra D6 with everything that you do and pick your best number. Uh, everybody else, uh, or most of the people anyway, are extras, they're called, and they don't get their extra dice, and they're quite easy to put down and lose in a dungeon, whoever else you might be. And allies work in a very similar way in terms of um, the kind of like up, down, or out uh, but the most, I guess, the most part of that section it gives you really is around what the personality might be, mm. which I think's a cool touch in terms of you've got a little table to roll and just to give them a one word uh, feature. Mm. So you might have, um, you know, a lieutenant who's uh, observant and uh, a, a, I don't know, a, a watchman who's gung ho or lazy or inexperienced or something like that. So I think that just gives them a little bit of flavour. And then it does. Uh, stuff like uh, high-level ammo tracking. So if you're playing in a shoot-em-up game, you can start off with either high or very high ammo, and they kind of drops through these four levels until they're out, and that just saves you keeping track. So every time you have a fight, the ammo level drops by one until eventually you do to run out of ammunition you have to go and refill them. But those sort of like little bits and how they work in terms of if you've got, say, 10 soldiers with you and they've got fighting of a D6, you just roll 10 D6 and don't worry about the extra wild die because they don't get one and see how many hits you get. And it really encourages having extras, sidekicks, mooks, all these extra people around you with your characters and still makes them uh, interesting to an extent. They can all have one personality trait and then easy to use and like get through loads of dash rolling quick to make things happen. So you can have 
you know, fights with 30 people on each side, it can still be relatively quick. Yeah, these things are a pain in the ass in every other game, aren't they? They always Absolutely. get mentioned as um, as like a good thing to have, like, you know, get some retainers, get some henchmen, get some spear carriers on your expedition. But then the games are just rubbish at giving you the GM and the players support to be able to actually handle them without it becoming massively overbearing. And you can play like uh, in other games, you could play like uh, guys with pets, I guess, like wolves or hawks or stuff like that. And even they're a little bit fiddly. But Savage Worlds does more than just make it easy. It kind of encourages you to do it um, mm. and to play missions like, you know, you could be Master Chief in Halo and you've got all the other Marines running around beside yeah. you. But it's actually really doable in the game. And and you don't have to play all, you know, you don't have to play six guys yourself. It's just like a, the whole table can play these guys as a group. And it fits right in with uh, with skirmish games as well. You know, if you've got your minis yeah. out or just your tokens or whatever, it's really easy to represent whether they're up, down, or laying down, which is like your three states in the game. Um, <laughs> it's it's just really well thought through. And I, I'm surprised more games don't do that because it's just good fun to have a couple of like you know hangers-on and a bit of an entourage. They kind of naturally want to develop in games, but in most other games I play... If people start making noises about, like, you know, can I hire a squire? I start thinking, oh, do you have to? Because this is going to be a <laughs> for you and for me. And yeah. and then the, the questions will be asked about, like, division of loot or... And that's the smallest example I could think of that we are paying. But, but then, yeah. you know, questions get asked about how many goes do you get in a fight? And it all becomes a little bit, oh, nobody really wanted this. We just wanted to have, like, a, you know, some kid called Podrick who's going to run around and fall over stuff a lot and it would be fun and it stops being fun immediately. Yeah, and um, they don't really conform to character building rules or anything like that so it explicitly says don't worry about you know, making these extras by the you know point by system that we started making the main characters for. It's like just give them whatever's appropriate. If there are a bunch of rangers with Aragorn, they'll all have survival skill probably. Mm. You know, just chuck the stuff out on that they're supposed to have. The way I found it worked in-game, we played a Hellfrost campaign uh, for a little while I think we had 20 or 40 guys with us. Wow. And we started out as half knights. Uh, and they very quickly got... Yeah, we, we thought, wow, as well, I've got 40 dudes. And then we met a frost giant and he started stamping on them half a dozen <laughs> at a time. And that very quickly went down. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that, Bez. I'm murdering all my little friends. But what we found out was that we got down to... I think it was like sort of like three or four or something. And that one personality trait had really come out for the ones that survived. We got yes. really protected of them. So... The mysterious half night was, I think we decided in the end it was like a woman who'd lost her husband and she vowed to take no other until she found out what happened to him and he died up here somewhere in the north amongst the frost giants and that cool. was like, and she had some mysterious thing going on with that. It's like, that's cool, but it's just something that naturally came out of it and I think you'll find that from having allies if you use them in the games. They tend to get chaffed away, they'll die quite easily or fall mm-hmm. by the wayside, but they're supposed to. Like, don't. Don't worry about it too much, and then they will ultimately they'll get narrowed down to something you actually have a little bit of a story for, yeah. and they become part of what's going on in the game, which I think is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. No, there's there's nothing wrong with allies at all. I think they're a really good rule. They've been around since the beginning in Savage Worlds, and uh, they, it must be a good rule because they've not done much with it in this new edition apart from just <laughs> reprint it. So yeah, yeah. win. <laughs> my my one. My one caveat is to say to people, yeah, I've got a bunch of extras, just roll all the dice at once. Oh, yes, you will occasionally get yeah. someone who's got 20 half guards with him and wants to roll a D6 for each one individually. Don't do that. That makes yeah. it slow. Yeah. Roll 10 D6 twice or something. Happy days. Yeah. And who doesn't like rolling like 15 D8s anyway? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm picking I don't want out person the in my bits. game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> cool. So that's enough on that. Uh, next up, there's a chases and vehicles section. So I don't propose that we go through this in fine detail. Um, it's been updated. The guys at Pinnacle think this is better than the last one or the one before that and so forth. I think it's fine from looking at it. It's probably a little bit more involved than I want from something in a Savage Worlds game, I'm going to yeah. say. Controversially, it's in the main book. But it feels like too many pages of rules and things that might happen when I want Fast Furious fun, so I tend to skip past most of this, to be honest, and do it my own way. Mm. Uh, and you can use something like, for example, the dramatic task that are coming up later to, to handle the same sort of thing. Yeah, it's... Uh, chase rules are kind of like my great white whale of role-playing. Um, I really mm. love chases in movies and video games and all the other kind of media that we like. Love them. They just don't get represented very well in role-playing. 
Uh, they're quite no. hard to run. Um, and it, games tend to take kind of two approaches. One is just like, you know, make some dexterity rolls, make it up as you go along. You know, you're a GM, right? Which is just, yeah. which is actually no rule at all. Um, or they go the other way, and, and all of a sudden you have to have, be printing off special cards that you play against each other, <laughs> and you're using a, a hex grid, and you've got a turning key. And, and all yes. you really want to do is that bit out of James Bond where, like, Daniel Craig's being chasing someone across a rooftop on a motorbike. That's what you want yeah. to do, and, like, running through markets and stuff. This one seems to have um, it's put more grit in there than I, I agree with you, mate. It looks a little bit, a little bit... Whew, for a Fast and Furious game, it looks like it's come out of a GURP supplement. Um, and, it, <laughs> and it looks like you've got to use another deck of cards. Uh, yeah. And there's a whole bunch of stuff going on there. And my eyes glazed over reading it a little bit. And, I've, and I really do want to see a decent chase rules. I'm going to hold off on this one, mate. I might actually write, run some run some chases, just white box it, you know, white room it, sorry, and just see what happens with like a, a Millennium Falcon and some TIE Fighters. And just gen it up yeah, and see uh, what happens. I'm sure they've done I've, that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's perfectly fine. I know people who've run it. Um, it's got the usual sort of thing. You've got an action card, and if it's a club, some complication happens. That right. that's like a standard sort of thing that comes with several of these rules. Um, it sort of suffers. Well, it's not just this isn't savage specific, but chase rules in general seem to suffer from that. The old netrunner kind of thing, where someone's hacking and everybody else gets to watch. Mm. It feels a little bit like that, in that the guy who's piloting or driving a car, for example. Yeah. Uh, gets to do stuff, and everybody else just gets to work out whether they can shoot someone or not, or maybe jump across another car. But it doesn't feel like enough people to get get to do enough things in chases. I guess for a foot chase or something, it's different. But yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm not. I'm not delved too far into it. I'll leave it up to you to to, to white room it and let me yeah. know what you think. I think. Yeah, I think so. I want to because if it, I tell you what, if the chase rules for this are good and uh, and they're fun, because I don't think they have to be realistic. The last thing you want is a realistic chase. I want them to hmm. be fit in with the rest of Savage Worlds. If they've done it, then I'll be the first person to like celebrate that, and that would be a yeah. massive tick in the box for this book because there are a good six to eight pages of of reasonably dense rules for this, and the one we just talked about that we loved for allies was like a page. So yes, <laughs> <laughs> ju- jury's out. We'll see. Yeah, it's got little bits if you want to enable chairs compared to a dogfight or a jill. You know, there's actual little bits in there that I think might be interesting, but. Hmm. It, the proof of the uh, putting them in the tasting on that one. Yeah. Okay, so I did mention then what you could possibly do instead is dramatic tasks. Yes. So, as I mentioned last week, uh, there's a when to use these rules section, which is good. So, straight away to the pre about whether you may want to or not use it. Uh, essentially, what this is, it's a bit like a skill challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to get a certain number of successes, uh, and you sort of like tells you how to calculate that and you get skill tokens they're called but basically you're trying to accumulate successes and you have a certain number of turns to get those successes in and that's that's largely it yeah that's cool um but this is good for that so where i'm thinking of like chasing and stuff if you think of uh indiana jones uh the first Rose lost night film where he's running away from a boulder mm. this feels like that would be sort of it like i wouldn't use the chase rolls for that i'd say okay there's a good chance you all might get crushed by this massive boulder so Let's see, as a dramatic task, if you can make it out in the three turns it takes. You know, can you do enough? Yeah. So I, th- I think it's that sort of thing, or disarming a bomb, or you know, it's trying to hack into the computer before the security guard comes back on his rounds, or something like that. It's that kind of action movie thing, which I think Savage Worlds is perfect for. Yeah, and this is the kind of stuff that you that that feels very Savage Worlds. It's um, it's thorough. Uh, it's very thorough. There's some good examples in there too. Um, and it, it opens up an awful lot of stuff and stops skill rolls just being that binary pass-fail that you can sometimes get into with a lot of systems. Yeah. It just adds another little layer in. I can see that one getting quite a lot of use, actually. And I like the um, internal consistency. So that thing I mentioned about on your action card, if you get a club, there's a complication. So that comes mm-hmm. up again in this rule, uh, yeah, and that sort of like appeals to me in terms of you try to disarm a bomb, and then all of a sudden this counter starts going faster or something like that. You can yeah. you can immediately see situations where that sort of stuff would come out. Uh, and you touched on it there. I think the other great thing about this section is it gives an example of everything it's talking about as well, mm. so you can see it at the table. So that's all cool. Yep. There's a couple, mate, if you want to delve into them, you can do. The, the couple of the next ones I think are fairly self-explanatory. There's a section on fear, um, and there's some stuff about hazards. And and those are the kind of... Um, there are Obviously, they're optional rules, but if your adventure that you're running doesn't have hazards in it or anything scary, you, you, those optional rules are never going to like come out anyway so (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Um, so the Fear One's useful if you want to run a Cthulhu-esque type game or something okay. like, yeah. you know, just make it a little bit more grimmer or if it's in a dark fancy world, it, it gives you that extra level of um, frightened, panicked characters, you know, things that might happen from a result of fear. So okay. uh, it's take it or leave it, but it's it's for stuff you want something a bit more realistic or to be horror or dark, that's where you chuck that fear table in. So I think that makes sense. Okay. Um, as for hazards, the kind of one I want to pull out, it's the usual sort of stuff about, you know, you might get electrocuted or get a disease or whatever. There's bumps and bruises, which is, you know, you skin your knees running away from the boulder that we just mentioned or whatever it is, or crack your head on the way through a door trying to flee from the, the zombies or whatever it, whatever it might be. Uh, it's just one level of fatigue, which basically gives you a minus one to all your rolls. Mm. Uh, but I like the bumps and bruises thing. and You see that in some of the, the pre-written adventures and that kind of stuff. It's like, we don't want to injure your character and there's no, there's no hit points or anything like that to knock off them. So you just say they're suffering from bumps and bruises as a result of their maybe failing a dramatic task or whatever else they might be. But I like that they've got that in there as a, a quick and easy way of saying, you're a bit messed up. You've got a condition from the failures you've been through or the, the trials and tribulations you've been on. So I think that's useful. And then if you want to go into things like, you know, do I drown and someone set me on fire, what happens? Uh, all the spot <laughs> rules are there for you, basically. Yeah, I mean, fatigue's a nice little bit of design space, isn't it? We talked on the last episode about the um, uh, the wound levels and about Shaken. And, uh, Savage Worlds doesn't do hit points, um, but by opening up another little track called fatigue, which can be really nasty. I mean, you know, minus one or four year olds doesn't sound that bad, but if you're wounded and fatigued, you're in, you are really in a world of pain and things can get quite nasty quite quickly. But there's a nice little bit of design space there, isn't there, to um, to to apply conditions. They use it for cold. They use it for heat. Um, they use it in quite a few different ways. So they've really thought that one through. It's dead easy to track as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, most of the characters, you've kind of got incapacitated in the middle and then you, your wounds go on minus one, minus two, minus three, and then you're, you're out kind of thing. And fatigue's just on the other side of it with minus one, minus two, and incapacitated kind of thing. Yeah. So, as you say, you can kind of mix and match them, and it can end up really like limiting your character if they're injured and fatigued and all the rest of it. But then that's how it should be, right? If and you're on fire. <laughs> if you fall into a volcano and you're on fire, then yeah. <laughs> it should be quite difficult to do things. So that all makes sense. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those sections where it reminds me of... Um, uh, the player's handbook or the dungeon master's guide which we went through a few episodes ago now mm. where this is look up stuff if you want to know what the rule is for hunger look it up i don't think you need to internalize it it's well Correct. bookmarked you can find it there it, it really is quite thorough this bit isn't it it talks about mm. like how much air somebody needs and how long you will need to be without water and so on um, so yeah, they they folded in some stuff into the core book there, but I don't think anyone's expected to read and memorize that stuff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you're playing uh, Fifty Fathoms or Pirates or something like that, then you might want to look at the drowning rules. But you know, yeah. it's not something you'll, you'll carry. Like, and you, you like. always need to know the fire rules because it's a role playing game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and players bring it up on themselves. They do. <laughs> it's true. So the next element is interludes. These have been expanded a bit since the last edition, where they first um, inter- <laughs> I was going to say interluded. That doesn't make sense. But they were first included. Um, so again, you've got your when to use these rules section, which is good. The basics, and these were a way of getting Benny. So we mentioned last time that Benny right. seems to be more more free flowing this time around. Yeah. Um, and this feeds into that. So how they used to work was basically just say, "I remember a time when," and cut a little story that was relevant from your past or something, and you get a Benny. Um, this is similar. They just padded it out a little bit, so you get um, you get an action card, and that sort of tells you the sort of thing that you're supposed to be talking about. Mm-hmm. So, um, if it's hearts, for example, it might be something to do with um, your heroes practicing a skill, and what is it? Mm-hmm. You know, in a, as a downtime action. This that's the other thing I should mention. Actually, they split up into downtime, backstory, and trekking. So previously it was just backstories, but. Now they've also got downtime. So those bits where you sat around the campfire waiting to go and watch or whatever, you might think, oh, what are your characters doing while they sat around the fire? That's a little bit more interesting. Uh, and the trek is you don't want to go through, I don't know, a Tolkien-like adventure and detail every moment, mm-hmm. but you might want to go like, as you're travelling to X, this thing happens, or tell me about this. Um, so there's three different ways and four different suits. So that gives you like 12 different types of thing that might happen where your player can come up with something and then they get rewarded with a Benny for it. So it's a good way in between encounters of just giving your characters another Benny without going, 
oh, you look a bit low, here, have another one. You kind of introduce it as an interlude and say, flip a card, tell me about this, here's your reward, let's move on. So I like it. It's just it's a more a characterful way of handing out bennies rather than just saying, here, everybody have one, because you defeated a baddie. No, I really like this bit. I love it. It's a single page. It's got an awful lot going on. Um, it reminds me a lot of montages from 13th Age, uh, yep. which I'm a big fan of. Um, I really like it because these are my favourite bits of gaming sometimes. I I kind of bemoan that player characters don't talk to each other enough, that mm. they just talk to the GM backwards and forwards. And, you know, it's, it's quite hard to get them to just talk through their stuff. And if they are going to talk about like a, a plan to assault a mansion or something else like that, it gets quite rulesy sometimes. I think it's a shame that they don't have like, you know, Joss Whedon levels of banter or Ocean's Eleven style little flashbacks and bits and pieces like that. And of course, that's quite hard to engineer because you're playing in the moment and you're not a Hollywood writer's room. Yeah. But sometimes a little bit of an incentive and putting someone in the spotlight for a bit, sometimes people react really well to that and really positively. So, you know, if hopefully if someone was to say to me, you're going on a trek um, and, you know, let's just interlude it out rather than hex crawling it, I'd be up to the task of, like, imagining something. I mean, it's, it's high trust because they don't say anything in there about, like, what if a player says something that the GM's thinking, but I don't have any frost giants in my desert. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, it, and it doesn't, you know, and... Are you, are you gonna? What about if you have a combat on this trek? Do you play that out? I, I guess you know it's not that hard to figure out, is it? They've, they've done quite a good job of not over-explaining it. Unlike yeah. chases, <laughs> and, and that internal logic comes up again in terms of if it's a club that you get, there'll be some kind of complication. But mm. yeah, rather than having the fight, like you say, it might be the the tragic death of a favourite extra. So the allies that we've mentioned right. are brought back into it there. So this is the sort of thing I, I like about. Savage Worlds and, and the interconnectedness of it and there's a little callback to the other rules you've got and things like that and mm. uh, I think it's nice that there's that option in there that it might not be a positive thing that's happened but something bad happens and you yeah. tell me players what was the bad thing that happened to you, that kind of thing so it's, it's not going to be something crippling necessarily but it just adds up kind of a little bit of uh, pathos or sadness to your journey or trek as you, you lose whatever, Fred, the mysterious yeah. ranger who was with you but yeah. he, saved his, you know, he saved you by sacrificing his life or whatever it might be, that kind of thing Cool. Mass Battles is next. Have you used them? Yes. Oh, cool. How'd it go? Uh, reasonably well. So it's um, one of those we've mentioned. You can have like 25-a-side football matches if you really want to. Uh, and I have done in Hellfrost and other games, and that's fine. If you're really uh, ramping up the stakes, though, this is where the Mass Battles come in. And again, it's quite simple. Right. So there's only uh, a couple of pages, which give you all you need to know, which I think is enough. That's the right amount for all these subsystems. Uh, it tells you when to use it, gives you the basics, and essentially you get a number of force tokens, it calls them each side, but this could be poker chips or whatever else, mm. uh, for the relative size and strength of your um, armies, and then your commanders will roll a battle skill. Uh, there's bits and pieces in there about having um, whether you've got tactical advantage or not, which comes down to your pros rolls from your commanders, uh, and there's stuff like it's got morale in there, it's got uh, the effects that your characters have in mass battles. Uh, and again, this is where your bumps and bruises or something might come in. If you choose to join in the fighting to try and swear the battle, your character might take a bumps and bruises hit or something like that. Mm. So more of that all ending up. Gives you quick rules for what to do about ammo or powerpoints just to track that all down. So um, it's got all the bits and pieces you need, I think. And it's basically just about making a few rolls and trying to like knock the opponent's number of tokens down before yours depletes completely. And it's quite good if you wanted to do a, I don't know, Battle of Helm's Deep, and you might have your men and elves or whatever, and you've got, say, six tokens, but the orcs have got ten. But it turns out that you're a better battle commander than they are, so you've got an advantage that way. And then the personal actions of your Legolas and Gimli characters might sway the battle. Um, so I think it does all that in a nice, simple, easy way, and it gives you a result at the end of it. So that's, that's the important thing. Uh, yeah, I like the stories it opens up as well, because... Um, military actions and big wars and stuff like that are really ripe for story but in a lot of other games if you're honest with yourself you think I'm not going to open up that can of worms because that's a lot of prep and you know how am I going to include the PCs in this and uh, am I really going to get that feeling of battle lines clashing but knowing that Savage Worlds has a system for it you can start putting that in your scenarios and not being so afraid of it because it will be handled yeah. really well so I'll give you an example of where I have used it, and I, I wouldn't use it as um, like the the main 
end goal, the end piece. But mm. I've used it as like a penultimate scene, if you know what I mean. So I had a kind yeah. of uh, Arabian Nights type adventure, and there's basically all these different factions around all over the place. And the, the PCs basically went around, once they decided whose side they were on, trying to accumulate other people. And obviously the more tribes or gins or whatever it is it might be they got, the more force tokens they got for the battle. They didn't know that was happening at the time mm. until it occurred. But then you get to the point where you have the battle with the evil vizier's army. And then based on the result of that, it's that then uh, sort of like informs how the last showdown is going to go when you get to the the mm. top minaret to fight the vizier at the end. And, you know, if your army's won, that obviously flares it a different way than if your army of or coalition was defeated. So I think it's it's a nice kind of like precursor scene to do mm. a big battle if you want to have a sweeping kind of like what happens in this land kind of adventure uh, and then make it personal at the end with uh, getting the PCs personally involved. But that, that's how I use it anyway. Cool. No, that sounds good. It makes me want to include that in a scenario just to make it a, a nice little scene. Yeah. Excellent. Um, then we've got another, um, I guess it's a new bit called networking. Mm. Uh, and it's just some spot rules for doing the kind of gather information roles, I guess it'd be in a different game. Or, yeah. you know, when you just want to go around and, and pick up what's the word on the street, that kind of stuff. Uh, and you can do it a, a nice way, or a, a not so nice way, using persuasion and maybe spreading a bit of cash about. Or you can go away, like cracking heads and and seeing what gives, and then risk upsetting people in the local area and that yeah. kind of stuff. Uh, it, it works it, fine, I think. It just looks like an expansion of two skills. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't, can't it remember what it said about those skills in the first place. But is this this is adding more to it? I guess because it must be, otherwise it wouldn't be there. Yeah, uh, it just makes some things a little bit more explicit. Okay. Uh, um, so in Savage, we've mentioned you can succeed or fail or get raises. Uh, I think we also mentioned critical failures, which is a double one, basically snake mm-hmm. eyes. Uh, so it just sort of mentions what happens there. So if you're trying to uh, persuade people to give you the information, the word on the street, and you get your critical failure, you might close yourself off to a particular group. So that might have repercussions later down the line. If you've, I don't know, pissed off the local crime boss or all the local goons, uh, mm. and they've, and you know, you shut them down because of the way you've been acting, that may have implications later. I think part of this really is it's kind of up to the GM to work out what it means and the degree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think it's fine. I don't think it's necessarily um, setting the world on fire or anything like that, but mm-hmm. it's just a nice way of expanding out. When the players ask, can I go and find out something more about this? You've just got a little subsystem for giving you the extra if you want to put more on it. It's perfectly yeah. acceptable just to say, make a persuasion roll, I'll tell you anyway, but here's a few more words around it really. Yeah, cool. Okay, next up is Quick Encounters, which is the opposite of Mass Battles to an extent, isn't it? This is for, yeah. uh, use these rules if you're you're either pressed for time or this is like a combat that is designed to be a road bump rather than a scene, I guess, yeah. you know, just jumping the guards. You don't necessarily want to get out your deck of cards and all the other business for it, just see what happens. Yeah, exactly so. So you mentioned when we talked about interludes that, um, if someone brings in that you got in a fight, do you do the fight or not? Mm. This is where you could layer those rules again and use one of these and just make. Uh, everybody yeah, make that's quite clever. Yeah. Make one fighting roll to see how well you did in that fight that occurred without having mm. to do a full on combat or anything like that. Um, and then there's obviously the, the fallout from that kind of thing. Uh, again, I think it's fine. It's just a couple of pages. Um, it gives you some bits and pieces on success and failure and what that outcome might mean. Yeah. Largely the specifics are again up to the game master to, to come up with that. And. Um, it does mention that you can kind of sort of pre-stage some of these as well if you want to. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess it's another. It feels again like it's just padding out things that already exist a bit, like the the previous thing mm-hmm. we just mentioned there. In terms of if someone wants to like, rather than just going out gather information, they say, "Oh well, I know that um, old Jim by the docks has some papers in his safe. So I want to break into the safe and you know find out what he's got." Yeah. But you don't really want to like role play that by sneaking past guards and do you make a stealth roll, do you make a lockpick roll? You just let's make a roll and we'll see if we, we get that thing that you're after and mm-hmm. uh, move on. So it's handy to as another little tool to have in the backpack, I think. So you've got like a, you've got an accelerator pedal on Savage Worlds at this point, haven't you? Because you've yeah. got your standard tests, you can make them dramatic contests, you can make them quick encounters, and you can make those judgment calls to speed up, slow down, you can adjust the pace quite readily but use the same core mechanics that's quite clever yeah and this is if you want a super fast chase 
you could use this. It's like, okay, yeah. like a driving role, you've either caught them or you haven't, or you have yeah. them take a wound or whatever. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's our way of doing it. Um, yeah. And again, it's got a nice little example for you, which I think is really cool. Okay. The next part is setting rules. So we mentioned previously that Joke as well and stuff like that used to be a setting rule, but now mirrors. Mm. So they're still here. And this is kind of like um, the hyper parameters of your game where you sort of change the feel of a game by adding some of these. Mm-hmm. So normally there's a, a rank requirement. So sort of every four advances your character gets, they go up a rank. So you start at novice and then you become seasoned and then you become veteran. And as you do that, more edges become available to you, more advantages. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first one of these, for example, is born a hero, and that means you can ignore those qualifications and just pick any edge you want. So that's automatically going to make your characters uh, better in the versus combat, or certainly more capable in the game world. So mm. if you want to play a more heroic game, then you will use born a hero as one of your setting rules, for example. Um, there's a, a, a few different pieces there. Uh, I think they're all, I don't need to go through them one by one. Mm. Um, there's but quite the, a lot isn't there yeah uh, and the thing is that the, the published books that come out can have their own setting rules as well mm-hmm. which will give it a flavour um, there's there's ways of making games more gritty and there's ways of making them more uh, heroic as we've mentioned so I mean that stuff's all good yeah this this reminds me uh, I guess if you don't know what, what we're on about here but maybe you maybe you play games like uh, stuff from Free League Free League and stuff like uh, Mutant Year Zero they've done I don't know, by now probably five or six different games and it's all got the same core engine in it, uh, which is relatively straightforward, but every game adds in another little twist or a tweak to help immerse you in that setting. So it might be uh, Radiation in Mutant Year Zero um, or it might be something completely different in Forbidden Lands or Coriolis or whatever. And what Savage Worlds is doing is because it's a toolkit game is it's putting all of those options um, as a little kind of menu for you and you would pick, I guess, one or two of these for your homebrew. Maybe more, maybe less. You don't have to use any of them, of course. Mm. But each one just puts a, a, a kind of flavoured sauce on top of the core rules and makes your campaign world run a little bit differently to everybody else's, just based on the combinations you pick. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I mentioned there's, you might want to use the fear rules, for example, if you're playing a Cthulhu-like game. You might also mm. want to add stuff like gritty damage, which is more painful to the character and that sort of stuff, or uh, give them fewer bennies. Uh, if you want to play a more cartoonish four-colour game, you might have something like Heroes Never Die, for example, so the heroes are unlikely to die, yeah. for example. Or give the the, val- the villains, rather, um, can have fanatics. So instead of like killing the villain at the end, one of his mooks jumps in the way and takes the shot for him and that kind of stuff. So it's just dials and levers to make your game either more or less pulpy or gritty or or other flavours. Um, yeah. And there's a good selection there in the, in the book, core book, to be honest. Yeah, there's quite a lot of nice stuff there. And give yourself a chuckle on the way as well. Look at page 136. There's a, I really like the art in this in this book, generally speaking, but there's a fully armoured knight there, plate mail, head to toe, hair hanging out the back. And for some reason, they're wearing a woolly scarf. I don't really <laughs> yeah. know why. It looks like they're in House Slytherin. For just, they've been to Harry Potter World and bought some merch. Very odd. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Just like the sort of character you wouldn't argue about. You wouldn't say why you were in yeah. Scotland. You just kind of like go with it. Yeah, maybe there's a reference and I'm missing it. That could be the case. It could, could be. It's quite strange. So um, the other one probably to mention before we skip past this section uh, is no PowerPoints, which I quite like. So mm. in the core game, if you've got uh, a weird science or you've got um, psionics or spellcasting or whatever, they all come with PowerPoints. Um, now, weird science is the one I had to mention, but that sticks with powers anyway because it stays per device you create. But for the others, like superpowers and stuff, you have a number of PowerPoints, and once they're out, you can't cast your spells or use your abilities anymore. Mm. But the no PowerPoints just gives you an alternate rule for not worrying about all of that. So it allows you to just cast things as much as you want. So if you prefer a game where you want to be able to cast Magic Missile every round, or whatever they call it, as a bolt, for example, you can use the no PowerPoints rule, and it means you can just carry, carry on casting and casting and casting. And... Uh, mm. I find that preferable to using PowerPoints, to be honest. I just I like not having the extra bean counting, but mm. other people have different preferences, so yeah, choose your poison. The um, the weird thing about this, and I'd pro- I'm sure I could just get used to it, is that the, the setting rules, there are, what, uh, 20? 
and uh, there are thereabouts. Yeah. And there's a little checklist at the end of this section, so you can like um, you can get that sheet printed off, and you can tick the ones you're using for your campaign. That's mm. all fine and dandy. But what's weird is that this is all nested in setting rules, which is just applied alphabetically to the adventure toolkit. Because you finish this section, which is quite long, and then you you have to remind yourself, oh, hang on, we're still on the adventure toolkit because next up is social conflict because that's next in the alphabet. <laughs> so it's kind of, these these seem to me like, yeah, they are part of the adventure toolkit, but I kind of think they deserve their own chapter because they're yeah. super optional um, and they're just nested in the middle I'm not sure of the layout choice there. That's quite pernickety, I suppose, isn't it? Yeah, I know what you mean. I I, I had exactly the same experience. I got past Wound Cup and I went, oh, no, wait, we haven't finished yet. Yeah. Back to the S's. <laughs> yeah. But that's that's a minor inconvenience. I guess, as you've mentioned, this is a well-linked PDF as well, if you get yes, the PDF. Um, so everything hyperlinked, which is great. And the other great thing, well done, Pinnacle, is that latest thing, so you can turn off background images and stuff mm. to make it easy to print or read. So, although, yes, perhaps some of the layout options would have made done differently, the way you can nip around the PDF makes it a non-event, really, doesn't it? The Smart Party are raising funds to help with the running costs of the show. We use Patreon, which is kind of like a modern magic item that turns you into a connoisseur of all that is good in gaming. To show your support, just head over to patreon.com slash thesmartparty. You can donate a dollar, a credit, a copper piece, or a fiver per month. It all goes into the portable whole of web hosting costs and helps us look after you every month with new Smart Party content. Patreons get a big thanks from us, some backer-only goodies as and when, and the warm, confident glow of the just and righteous to help you sleep at night. Join the Smart Party at patreon.com today and tell all your friends tomorrow. Cheers! So, social conflict. <laughs> That's something we have before the podcast every week. <laughs> Social media conflict, something we have after the podcast every week. <laughs> if only there were rules for that as well. Uh, yeah, so this is one again where if you really wanted to, you could roll intimidation versus spirit or something, and that's your argument over with. Uh, this is more for stuff like if you wanted an extended courtroom drama scene or you're trying to persuade the nomads up to the oasis to come and help you defeat the vizier, but don't want it to be just one roll. You want a bit more to it than that. Um, it's just a slightly extended version of that. In that you get yeah. three rounds, and you you're trying to like accumulate a better argument than your opponent's got or reduce their resistance, mm-hmm. um, and that's it. There's a little table at the bottom, and depending on how many tokens, they all mad on tokens this time for some reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're all just glass beads or whatever poker chips, whatever you want to use. But anyway, the more successes you accumulate, then the better the the result will be. So if you only get one or two then the target's not going to be really convinced by what you've been saying. I'll give you some support reluctantly. Mm-hmm. And if you get like six or eight, the target's going to be eager to help you and uh, perhaps swear that you're blood brothers now or something like that. So it's just another way of uh, meeting out that social conversation piece rather than just make it one wrong. Yeah, and uh, which is fine. I think social conflicts are quite hard in a lot of games. Um, they can get hand-waved quite a bit. I, I like to see that there's some game involved at this level can be quite difficult to narrate your action in a social conflict, can't it? It's yes. never a problem when you've got a sword in your hand or you're casting a spell. But if you ask people to, like, you know, open your case before the judge, people tend to give you all of their arguments in a big stream of consciousness. And, and then when you say, but there's more rounds to go yet, it's like, well, I'll say it again, but louder. Say it in a different order. Yeah, so I think this one behooves uh, the GM thinking about it a little bit. So if you've got your scene with the Nomads at the Oasis and you know that's coming up and want to make more out of it, have a bit of a think about how the conversation will go. So Mm. you could be speaking to the old elder swathed in his uh, black hijab or whatever, and you might be persuading him, and then the young brash son bursts in and goes, why are we helping these outsiders you know, what have they ever done for us, that kind of thing. And that adds an extra dimension to the story. And then the players might have a fresh argument to bring around that or, you know, they can react mm. to the situation. So my advice to, to new gems would to be, if you're going to have three rounds of social combat, think of what might up the ante or at least change the circumstance so then your players have got something else to go at if they've used all the best arguments already. Yeah, uh, just make sure you have an opportunity to shout objection and you can't handle the truth. That's <laughs> Sustained. Okay. <laughs> so, um, the other thing we mentioned, you can do this um, as your interludes, but there is actually a little travel section as well. Nice. Uh, which, you know, uh, it's got kind of average travel trials, 
travel times even in miles per eight hour day and stuff like that if you should care about such things it seems a little bit odd because there's nothing really anywhere else in the book that talks about this much so yeah why you'd suddenly care i don't know but i guess there's no harm in having some information there well people ask don't they you know if, you yeah. could, if you're playing an Indiana Jones-style game, which you probably are at some point if you're into Savage Worlds, maybe you do need to know that a prop plane does a thousand miles in an eight-hour day. But, you know, you'll need to know like that red line is extending across the map. Can you get to Shanghai in under a week? I, I, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Savage Worlds has an answer for you, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you're already in Shanghai. So I was punching in the face, I think, is my answer. <laughs> well, um, yeah, that would be my answer too, or interlude which you've gone to the trouble of giving us a nice system for already. And to be fair to the book, it does actually say in the when to use this real section for this bit, it does say you can do an interlude. <laughs> it does yeah. tell you, you, know, you you yourself, like, don't have to bother with this. I think this feels like uh, if you like wandering monsters or stuff kind of thing in that. Okay. For example, uh, a horse can do 30 miles a day, for example, and you say the next town over is 100 miles away. So there's going to be four opportunities for an encounter right. and you flop four cards. If there's a yes. first card, something's come up, and then the suit informs you about what kind of thing that might be. So, okay. yeah. it, it, it's just another way of adding some extra bits in, I guess. I don't know. It, it, this one I'm, yeah. I'm less keen on, but for people who it's want who care about the kind of stuff, it's you know, it's an optional rule there. Yeah, as you say, one page. Mm-hmm. Good enough. And then uh, finally, we get to the W's. I'm more interested in the wealth page. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is oh wealth. Okay, can I can I state out loud first of all that the Savage Worlds is weird with its money. It's just weird. Yeah. Because okay, character creation, you get five hundred dollars, and it, it can't help but be abstracted because you could be playing cave people or you could be playing far future industrialists. So the yeah. fact you've got five hundred, they might as well call them five hundred widgets. Yeah. So I, I actually wish the game had just abstracted it even more, and, and this is where that can happen to an extent, isn't it? Because it's quick and easy. Because yes. otherwise, you they do expect you to buy clips of ammo. I just don't. Oh, that's always sat wrong, and it's been there since the beginning for Savage World. So you know, it's not new. But yeah, buying things down to that level of detail, nah. Give me a yeah. package and a wealth score. I think that's that's right. Yeah, I'm I'm more likely to go for that than. Than the other, I don't know. It depends if you like counting gold pieces or dollars or whatever it might be. Then it's giving you some representative prices earlier on, and you can use that. Um, this wealth score things, but it's kind of like um, a resource dice in some other games, in that you'll have a certain die type for your wealth mm-hmm. depending on how rich you are. And when you want to buy something, you can roll that to see whether you've got the cash in hand to do it or not. And if you mess things up, your wealth will go down, or as you spend too much money. Um, the thing with these sort of systems always comes down to um, what happens when someone offers you like a thousand dollars to go on a mission. <laughs> That's the, mm. It doesn't quite fit in with the wealth I think, but this this gives you a, a little bit around that in terms of talking about rewards. That if you're offered a certain amount of money, then your wealth die will go back up again, and able to buy more yeah, things. Okay. So um, <laughs> the other bit I like that it calls out is negotiating. That players love to negotiate. So whenever you offer them money, they always want some more money, and they just yeah. want they won't take the job for the price they're offered. They always want something else out of it. Um, but I don't know. At least it mentions it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I like the idea of having some rules around that. I tend to hand wave it a little bit depending on what I'm doing. It depends, I guess. If you're playing um, like Hell on Earth, or one of the mm. games that's post-apocalyptic, then you want to count money because. You know, you're going to be on limited resources, and it matters in that sort of game. Um, for other games, I think this mm-hmm. is perfectly acceptable. Yeah, agreed. Uh, and that's it. I say that's it. There's quite a lot there, actually, isn't there? That's extensive, and um, and I'm struggling to think of any other subsystems that I would be wanting from a game. Actually, that there's loads there. Um, mm. I guess other games might have stuff for like hacking, but that seems ad- more than adequately covered with some of the dramatic contest stuff. That carries a, that carries a lot, doesn't it? It for does. A few pages. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I think between yeah, pretty thorough between the dramatic tasks, the interludes, the accelerator pedal you've got, you know, this, even just using three or four of those, you've got enough mm-hmm. tools to sort of zoom in and zoom out of action and change the pace and stuff, and uh, that's all pretty good. 
I'm yeah. happy with that. Because uh, C4 or 5, I would want to use all the time. I would just have them always on the table. Uh, yeah. Mm. You can get in touch with the Smart Party via your favourite electronic means. Look us up on the forums, where we're just about everywhere, or you can simply email us at thesmartparty at hotmail.com. Your comments, insights, questions and revelations are always welcome. Roll diplomacy! So, we've got a whole new chapter now, which is Powers, which we briefly touched upon then. This is the new lights. I think you've, you've mentioned before, Baz, that basically all, all role-playing games are superhero games, aren't they? In terms of <laughs> the characters just have powers <laughs> and can do stuff. <laughs> they do. But in, in a way, I, 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 I just players. say that to you to wind you up because you just don't like superpowers despite <laughs> all your characters having superpowers. It's just a spandex thing. You need to get over it. <laughs> no, and it's being nice to people and other stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> Not killing the uh, enemy when it's no, honestly, let's not get into that argument. That's a different podcast. So we've mentioned that there's different types of uh, powers. You get an arcane background edge of a certain type, and that gives you access to powers. So if it's something like magic, say you're a spellcaster, then you have an arcane skill called spellcasting, which you'll roll to cast your spells. You'll have three starting powers, and you get ten power points if you're using the power point system. Um, that's pretty much it for, for those sort of arcane backgrounds. They'll do something slightly different. Uh, if you're doing weird science, then you create items that do things rather than having it powers. And um, if, you, if you're if you gifted, for example, you only have one starting power, but you get more power points and that kind of thing. So there's just different flavors of, or ways of saying you've got powers of some sort, superpowers or magic powers or whatever it might be. Then mm. the important bit around that is that, that we'll not go through each one, I don't imagine. Um there's a good no. list of spells like Bolt, which is stuff like Magic Missile, and Blast, which is stuff like Fireball, and there's Flying and uh, Invisibility and all the stuff you'd expect. And being a toolkit system, there's a bunch of powers which should allow you to do anything you can think of that you want to do with your magic powers, basically. The important bit is this next mm. page, which is Trappings, and that's how you dress things up. So your Bolt might be Magic Missile, it might be Earth Darts if you're playing Earth Dawn, it could be a swarm of bees if you're a Druid or something, I don't know. Pick mm. something. The interesting change that's happened for long-time fans of Savage Worlds is that it does explicitly say here as well that your trapping will have an effect, whereas for most of the previous editions, it's just kind of been, if you've got fireballs or an ice bolt, it doesn't really matter. Uh, but here it does say that if you've got something that's vulnerable to fire and you say you cast a fireball, that's your trapping for your thing, then it will do the extra damage against something sensitive to fire, for okay. example. Uh, so I think that's quite interesting. Uh, and of course, trappings also present some kind of limitation potentially as well. So if something's invulnerable to fire mm-hmm. and you're casting fireball, obviously there'll be an impact. So I quite like that little touch. Before it was just window dressing, uh, and now it's like, well, think about the sort of thing you want to do, and that'll make the power a bit more interesting or or niche. Yeah, I mean the onus is on the player here, isn't it? And and rightly so. It's um, I've seen complaints before about there's not enough there's not enough variation in like wizards and so on. Well, that may be true, but you know, there's you've got all your imagination that you want to bring to it, haven't you? If you yeah. if, don't be the person who says I cast a boost trait, just don't be that person. <laughs> you know that that that's been given a deliberately generic name. Yeah. Um, you instead want to be casting, you know, um, uh, strength of a bear. courage on your yeah, allies. That's exactly. what you want to do, exactly. And you need to come up with those trappings, and um, and that does mean a little bit of work, but not much because you've only got like you know a handful of things with with fairly uh, kind of uh, wide application. But I do remember using bolt. I mean, that's super standard, isn't it, to have bolt? Yeah. Whether you're in an Iron Man suit of armor or you're uh, a wizard with a wand or whatever you're playing, bolt is really standard. But because you can cast one, two, or three bolts, and I believe you can cast them at like low strength or high strength, you've potentially got six sets of trappings there if you want to do that. So you can yeah. be that fire elementalist and have a suite of fire-based powers. Um, and you, 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 the more you put into this, the more you will get out of it. But do not expect to be casting from a menu of things where the heavy lifting is done for you. And you, you, you need to cast Freezing Sphere. You can't, you can't get away. Well, you could get away with it, but it would take all of the flavour out of the game. You, you, here is where you need to put the flavour in. Yes. Uh, and they've also got um, something now called power modifiers, which allow you to spend more power points to do extra stuff. So if you your flaming bolt or whatever you decided what pierced armor, you could spend extra power points to make it armor piercing, 
and instead of mm. like a you know a, perhaps a, a ball of flame, it might you might convert it into a, a thin lance to burn through a tiny hole in the armor or something like that. But that's as you said that that effort to come up with that cool stuff is all on the player. You know, you, if you want to play it, mm. like I'll just add an extra plus two on piercing on it. Feel free to do that. Um, from the way I think we prefer mm. to role play, it's more a case of yeah, but what's that look like? What does it sound like? What does it smell like? Why is it cool? How's it different? Uh, but having all the extra power modifiers allow you to have something different, some different strings to your bow by casting the same power, but just make it seem yeah. more interesting or do more stuff, which I think gives it more longevity. Yeah. I mean, I really like the powers bit. It, again, it's a, it's one of those rules. It, it looks so simple because it's just boiled down a bunch of stuff that can take hundreds of pages in other books. You're well covered by this stuff. And I think as it's gone into this adventure edition, they filled in a couple of little gaps that they probably weren't aware of at the time. And and um, there's more stuff here. I, I'm struggling to think of anything that you can't do, but I'm sure someone who plays it extensively might say, oh, you can't be a, a beast master very well with these selections. I don't know whether that would be right or wrong, but there's a apart from some beast edge friend. cases, I think, you know, <laughs> oh, well, there you go. That's a terrible <laughs> example then, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think yeah. like I said, they've, they've covered most of the bases. So if there's a thing you cool. want to do, that's not there, that it's probably quite esoteric anyway, but... Yeah, because this has got to cover a lot of bases. Yeah, it'd be easy enough to come up with your own stuff. There's enough examples there where you can you can get a feel for how much uh, power or range or whatever like something would take to mm-hmm. do the thing you want it to do, because there's, there's so many examples that, like, you know, everything costs between one and five power points, basically, so like, how powerful is the thing yeah. you are trying to do and, and rate it on that scale? And if you want to like give it a rank, like you can only use this when you're a veteran because it seems quite a rude power, then do that. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, th- I think it's, like you say, you struggle to find something that you want to do that's not got some kind of simulacrum in the rules already. Cool. The summary sheet at the back of this section is is really good, and uh, it's two pages of powers, and there's a little summary in there the rank you have to be, how many power points it is. So at a glance, you can kind of see what you want. And um, it doesn't take long to work your way around that, does it? And that's got to be that's got to be useful because um, as a player, you're getting handed a player's handbook can sometimes be the worst thing in the world for the game. So <laughs> in, a, in Savage Worlds, <laughs> you can get back to the game. It's good. Yeah, it fits on a couple of, couple of sides of it for A5, I guess, or whatever the American equivalent mm-hmm. is of that size. So... Yeah, whip through the summary and see what you what powers you want. Okay, so that's we're kind of like, yeah, it feels a bit weird that in that we kind of left the player based stuff, went to the GM setting rules a bit, and then back to a player facing bit again, I guess. Mm-hmm. And now we're back to GM side with a uh, best dream. Yeah, that placement of powers was weird, wasn't it? Because you do all your character creation, which we did in the first episode of this podcast, and. And then you you go off to Adventure Toolkit for a long time before you come back round to Powers, and yeah. you'll be accessing that Powers chapter quite a lot as part of Charge End, won't you? It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It doesn't matter. It's all there in the book. It's all linked. I'm not going to moan about it anymore. But it's, <laughs> there's <laughs> interesting choice. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't like me. It doesn't like me reading this from front to back, does it? <laughs> it's there to challenge you. So the the best your bit. It's. Uh, not massively extensive. It's got uh, a similar sort of approach in terms of uh, that generic toolkit thing. You've got a list of abilities, so like natural weapons and whether something's a construct or undead or causes fear or is an elemental and that kind of stuff. And again, it's got a good range of things that most of the sort of common monster tropes for the abilities they might have, it's kind of listed there. There might be some that you want that aren't, but it gives you the the basics and a, and a good array of sort of what power level things will be I guess I don't know I can't think of the top made of something I've wanted for a monster mm-hmm. ever, and there's not been an equivalent power or an edge I could just take and use instead yeah the create your own monster stuff is actually quite good it's quite thorough isn't it yeah yeah so you can pick whatever setting or a TV series or whatever it is that you want to do and think what sort of powers would this monster adversary whatever have in this and just select Cafeteria style from the league list and give them that kind of stuff I think that all works fine um, there's a little bit about size that comes up, which I've not mentioned before. Um, it just sort of affects how uh, tough something is, but also how easy it is to hit, and then gives you an idea of strength range. So if you want to fight against King Kong, then you, there's a bit of real stuff there around how big he will be, how easy he is to hit, and how much tougher he is, and how much it'll hurt when he smashes with his big fists. So um, it feels a little bit crunchy, that bit, but it, it does the job, so no complaints again. 
and then it jumps straight into some examples of different things. I think for um, for a starting rule book, it gives you the basics. There's nothing too exciting there. It gives you some creatures like uh, crocodiles or bulls or great white sharks, uh, and then a bunch of other classic things like zombies and vampires and dragons. Uh, it's not overly exciting, but I think we've mentioned before that most of the stuff from Savage Worlds comes from different settings. It just gives you a good range of stuff there to give you examples of the sort of power levels of stuff in the game. It's a weird setting, this one, because um, for a toolkit game, uh, if you just read the bestiary, you would assume it was a fantasy role-playing game. Because uh, outside, there's loads of ordinary animals, alligators, bulls, you know, stuff that you can interact with, don't get me wrong, including a small cat. Um, And it's full of that sort of stuff. And you've got dragons and zombies and skeletons and all of that kind of stuff. And as you read through it, you think, have have I just got read the fantasy source book for Savage Worlds? Until you get to mech. Right bang, smack bang in the middle of the bestiary. (laughs) There's a mech. And then, okay, that's cool because you want this. This is a toolkit game. I I want to play a sci-fi game. I want to play... Uh, I want to play some of my favourite video games. I want to give that a go. But then you're straight back into the fantasy genre again. Yes. It's like they've dropped a single science fiction thing into the middle of this bestiary. Yes. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what I would have done. <laughs> but I'm not sure I'd have done that because mech then Minotaur is weird. <laughs> yeah, I'd have not had the mech. Or had uh, half a dozen things. <laughs> Complimented yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. It, it does feel an odd addition. I know what you're saying. <laughs> Um, I suppose the other one to call out yeah. is uh, a yeah. swarm. It does prove that you can do a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah so sorry, I just wanted to mention swarms because they're like if you want um, a you know a horde of rats down a, a sort of a sewer tunnel or a plague of stinging insects or something. There's just some extra little rules there um, about swarms and how they work. So I've used that quite a few times, especially rats down sewers and things like that. So that's yeah. that's a nice little touch. Um, but most of the stuff's fairly standard. It is a bit... It can be a little bit odd. And as we've mentioned, you get these bunch of um, rules up front about what different things are. And then, for example, an ancient vampire is mm. nearly a page with all these different things that are under it, mm. uh, which then contains things that aren't in that generic section at the start, necessarily. Or, or certainly tweaked. Uh, okay, yeah. Um yeah, so like, I don't know. Undead it explains what it is before, and then hearing undead, and it fully writes it out again for the the creature. I just feel that's a little bit of a. It's handy in game if you want to flick to this page, but equally feels like a bit of a waste of time. They explained it in the first place to then explain it here as well. But I don't know. It's, it, again, we're, we're down to sort of minor gripes, aren't we? Because generally speaking, everything's good. Yes. So we're trying, almost trying to find things wrong here. Well, yeah, it is really good, and and they're absolutely fine. And you've got the stuff there that you would need to just generate your own stuff. But um, and it will work for modern day, and it will certainly work for fantasy very, very well. And I don't think that's a coincidence that they put orcs and trolls and skeletons in there. Hmm. But if you're going to play one sheets, and you're going to play plot point campaigns, and you're going to pick up anything else, that's where your adversaries are going to be anyway. Yes. So you know that that's absolutely fine. Um, as a monster section goes, it's well. They're just examples. I quite like the build-your-own stuff. So, um, yeah, I think they do it fine. It's just a weird starting selection. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think this game's always been produced with the idea that you get a setting as well, don't you? Like that's That seems mm. the way Savage Worlds always been. Like, the, basically, you want to play Deadlands was the original version. You know, Deadlands yeah. really you know, it, it, it feels like it should come with a setting as well, but, you know. Yeah. It is what it is. So, mm-hmm. chapter seven and game mastering we move on to, I think. Mm-hmm. Now, I like this section. Not that I yeah, haven't liked I've read the other good. sections. But <laughs> yeah. It's good for a lot of reasons. Um, I don't know whether you... Well, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll start off with one. The bit I like about it initially is there's a, a little subsection called Your Game. Uh, and it calls out, you might think that the first step in starting a new game is finding a group of people to play with. That is important, but don't do that yet. First, get yourself excited. Figure out what you want to run and start jotting down ideas. Do that, and you'll likely get all your friends excited as well. That's a brilliant bit of advice. It is. Yeah, it is. And it's like that all the way through, too. I, I must have read dozens of these things by now, and I didn't think there'd be anything new in this because... It's it's a toolkit game and it's kind of like, you know, keeping it simple. Um, 
but there's this is a really good read. I don't think there is that much new in it, particularly, but it's presented with, with it's really well written, and it's it's summarised nicely. It's all packaged up into bits that actually matter. So yeah. you really, you know, it tells you about games nights. It tells you about like how to address things and what happens if you've got friction in your party. And it's good advice too. Apart from you know, it doesn't come out with like mealy mouthed stuff. It tells you what you can do. It tells you how to run campaigns with different flavors it basically tells you how to use the book you've just read and, yeah. and it's remarkable how often games master's advice doesn't do that and it's just stuck <laughs> on um this yeah. game this is it's yeah it's really good designers notes and uh and it's written with um with yeah with a really nice touch which i and i expect that these writers are real veterans of savage worlds and gming and having written these sections but this looks fresh it's good yeah it, it's one we always criticise this, don't we? So sort of look at some sections and think, well, we've been jamming for decades, so you know, yeah. there's probably going to be a little here that we don't know. But this, this, even as an old hand, I read this and think this is great. I can see how this does apply to new gamers in the way that some sections yeah. don't in other games. Um, I think I'm well. I'm pretty sick of reading people. It's like oh, you have to know the rules. You're the arbiter, and you must know the rules better than your players, and and that kind of inverted yeah. commas advice. And this this does tell you to read the rules and all the rest of it, but then says if you have to go and look some up, don't worry about it. And your only goal initially is yeah. to get the feeling of how the dice work and what ACs and modifiers are. Well, you know, do that mm-hmm. bit first. And you know, it's almost like um, an avuncular figure with a hand on your shoulder going, "Don't worry, you've got this. This is all you need to worry about for now." And and do this and do that, and you'll you'll be all right. Uh, yeah, and like I say, how to plan your game night and when to wrap your session up and you know, saying like don't go too late because more people have to work in the morning and things like that and mm. just really good you know wholesome advice all the way through yeah it's advice for the 21st century uh, and uh, it's refreshing to read and obviously we are big fans of the fact that it has a section on pacing <laughs> it says a good GM must pay attention to the pace of the game <laughs> correct well done those guys uh, and then yeah there's, there's some extra bits there about what sort of campaign you like and calls out that different groups will like different types of game. Um, you might want hack and slash or exploration or whatever it might be. Um, yeah, that's that's all good. I mean, I could virtually read that those four or five pages out and be quite happy doing that. I think it's all good stuff, but we'll let people well, go think, and read it at their leisure. Yeah, we may well have made about 15 of our previous podcasts out of these little sections. <laughs> because it's a, this is the sort of stuff that people ask about on forums, and rightly so, because it, it can be... It can be a bit of an intimidating role to step up and GM a role-playing game, um, and, and I guess we need to get into what we think of Savage Worlds at some point, mate. But I think yeah. that um, this is a pretty good read for. It's, it's done that nice job of like being really valuable for new GMs to to reassure them that this game is is theirs to play with, um, but it's also a refreshing read for veteran GMs. I don't quite know how they've done that. I recommend it to anyone. Yeah, it's got a good for reading, actually. I just nodded my head the whole way through and said yes, I laughed mm-hmm. out loud to myself. Yeah. So, yeah. Well done, Pinnacle. Hmm. Um, what else is there? I guess we we can skip forward to the end, can't we? And come up to a summary page. It's, it's just got well, like the, uh, a yeah, few summary pages. Yeah, a couple of summary pages. Um, weirdly, I think this feels like a, a sort of like Something from a previous edition, but it's got blast templates, which which sort does, of yeah. are used in the cone template, but it doesn't really make much of using miniatures like the old game used to. But obviously, felt the need to keep those in there. So, okay, yeah, that's, that's yeah, that's a peculiar one. I know, but yeah, yeah, I could think of better uses. I know it's only a PDF, so it's just photons at the end of the day. Uh, but you know, <laughs> maybe some stand up figures if they were going to do that, that would have made a bit more sense. You know, some stuff to go with. I don't know. But it's a strange little way to finish the book. I was kind of hoping for an afterword or, you know, a designer's notes or a thanks yes. for reading this. You know, like the end credits bit you get in Marvel films. Yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, all right, great Games Master chapter, then some condition sheets, a fat index, and some great big orange blast markers for your <laughs> Warhammer game in case you yeah. lost them. And a blank page <laughs> saying this page is empty, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Reminded me of GCSE exams from back in the day where it was just kind of nothing right. on this page was written on the page. Confused yeah. two hundred school kids, but um, yeah, no. Yeah, well, left me wanting more, but that's not bad, though, is it? If it, if a game leaves you wanting more, you that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's like you said, we want to take a bit of a piecemeal approach. You can read chapters at a go, can't you? You can sort of pick ones yeah. that sound interesting and have a bit of a route through them. 
and you probably need to read all of it to so it all makes sense because of the amount of internal logic there is and things referencing other things. Mm. But um, unlike, for example, the new edition of Vampire that I read, and I was sixty pages in thinking, "Oh, I'm glad I've done Vampire before because otherwise he's used a lot of words. I don't know what any of this is." Um, (laughs) This didn't feel like that. This feels more like it makes sense to a reader, even if you don't fully understand everything. You kind of it also narratively makes sense as you read through. If if mm. that indeed makes sense itself, yeah, um, yeah. I guess uh, uh, maybe we'll save this for the next episode. Maybe we'll do another episode on like uh, on settings, adventures, and I guess our opinions on what Savage Worlds Adventure Edition does. Because you know, conscious of time, it's taken us a couple of hours to take you through these two hundred and twelve pages. It's packed. There's a lot yeah. in there, and we've we've had There's to gloss some stuff here. <laughs> we've had to seriously gloss some stuff. Um, so yeah, maybe we'll circle back round to the other stuff about like where this game sits in the context of role playing at the moment, where it sits in our gaming lives, uh, what it's possible to do with it, what it's not possible to do with, um, and whether it's any good or not. I think we probably don't want to bury the lead too much. We like this game, don't we? <laughs> I think that's uh, probably come through in the way I've been talking about it. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's definitely worth doing another session on um, settings and other things and. And perhaps on past reminiscences of great games, um, mm. I'll probably like leave this session then with mentioning that people should go to peginc.com or googling Pinnacle Entertainment Group because they have actually got a decent website for a, a company. Yeah. Uh, they tend to do an update Tuesday where they put some stuff up there. The forums reasonably active. Um, the good thing to see when this game was still being developed, or even after it was in kind of like pre-release and into actually being released and the PDF kept getting updated was there's um, a good couple of threads on that forum where Shane, who's head of the company, would turn up and sort of thank people for the feedback and people could give mm. their opinions. So I suggested something around edges where you've got things like level-headed, for example, and then it improved level-headed and that sounds rubbish and I wanted mm. a better word for it than that. Like you've got hard to kill and hard to kill sounds great. Uh, and I did raise that as a point saying you might want to think about it and to be fair, he said he looked at it, but said it made confu- things confusing for people, so he's not included it. But it was great to get that feedback to say, we're not, we're not ignoring you, we mm-hmm. just don't think it's going to work for our game. So there's that level of engagement you can get, uh, and it's got an official rules uh, room as well. So it's normally Clint Black that answers, but you can go on, and if you've got genuine questions about the rules, uh, other people like myself or whoever else aren't allowed to go in and give, well, I think it works like that you will get an official answer from an official pinnacle person yeah. on how real works. And I think that's a really good service that a lot of games just don't have. Check it out. It's um, it's a really inexpensive game um, for, for, what for what you, you get. get. You get <laughs> um, so we'll we'll circle back around and talk about some of the stuff that we've done with it. But, you know, I, I don't think you can go wrong with this. And um, purely purely based on the GM's chapter, if nothing else, uh, it's, it's worth dropping the quids just for that. Read that. Refresh yourself. It'll make you want to run games. <laughs> for sure. Okay, then, guys. Thanks very much for listening. As always, thanks to our patrons, supporters, and everybody who gives us a like or share on social media. Do drop us a line if you've got thoughts or opinions or something you want to share with us, because we do love hearing from you. And the next best thing to play games is talking about them. Yeah, so um, give us a shout about what you want us to do with the settings bit as well, because we're looking at a game now that's pushing 20 years in existence, so <laughs> we can't possibly cover everything, but if there's something you do want us to have a look at, then let us know, and we'll make sure that we stick that in the pile. Cheers, guys, and see you next time. Cheers.